0: Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Shane Anything, where you can literally ask me anything. The last year or so, we've done this show as kind of a podcast, but we've actually reverted back to the original way that we did Ask Shane Anything, where you guys submit questions and then I answer them at my leisure. Now if you want to ask questions for this show, you need to pledge at $7 or more per month at patreon.com sifted, but everyone gets to watch the archive. We have a great list of questions for today's episode. Let's get straight to them. Hi-yah! Our first question comes from Sifted from Mick Womble. I can't help but be cynical about the timing of Phil Spencer's video about the toxicity of the console wars when it came so quickly after the delay announcement for Redfall and Starfield. It feels so much like a PR move to take attention away from Xbox having no exclusive games the rest of the year that his message, however true, will get lost. What's your take on the message and timing? Are the console wars necessary to build hype for products and fanboy fangirlism that create social media engagement and drive sales? Oh boy, you asked me a question about the console wars, something that I have detested pretty much my entire life. Even back in the Nintendo versus Sega days, I hated the console wars. I hated that people would dig in their heels, and literally refuse to play games on other platforms that they did not own. I have never, ever been that way. I was the kid growing up where I would get one console, my friends would get another console, and then we'd share games so we got to play them all. I have never really been a console warrior or a console fanboy throughout my life. There are certain games or publishers or developers that I think are a little better at creating games than others, but I always leave my mind open to accept that there may be other studios who can do things in a better and more compelling way. So just want to get that out there. I am not a fan of the console wars in general. I don't really think anything good comes out of them. So that kind of answers part of your question Two the part about the timing for Phil Spencer to answer this. Now you guys know years ago, I was pretty hard on Phil Spencer. In fact, I called for him to lose his job. I guess it was probably about five years ago now somewhere around there obviously before all these huge acquisitions that microsoft has made and xbox has made um, when we were getting the same three exclusives year after year from xbox it was either some permutation or combination of a forza game it was a gears of war game it was a halo game and that was pretty much it for many many years now Microsoft's best laid plans were pretty much laid to waste by COVID. We should have been getting games from some of these acquisitions. If not, it's existing internal first-party studios by now. So COVID caught everyone off guard. I think it may have caught Xbox and Microsoft a little more off guard. However, I do not want to begrudge Xbox for what has happened because the alternative is, okay, well, we need games. We can release unfinished games and get things out into the marketplace so that we don't end up with egg on our face. But I think ultimately it would end up with more egg on its face. So I do think Microsoft is doing the right thing by delaying games that are not completed instead of just rushing them out so they can say we actually have something on the release calendar. Now, I do agree with you, although I don't even know if you're asserting since you're asking, I do believe that a little bit of this commentary is the result of some of the negative press that's been circulating about Xbox lately. There's a lot of people asking themselves right now if they should cancel their subscription to Game Pass. And that is the last thing that Microsoft wants to hear right now. Game Pass is the entire strategy for Xbox right now. (laughs) And so if Microsoft is hearing that a lot of people are like, wait a minute, maybe this service isn't worth it if I'm not getting those big, Exclusive first party games day and date like I had planned on getting that's scary to Microsoft So I could see where there might be some sort of a knee-jerk reaction to all that But Phil Spencer is not typically the guy who has a knee-jerk reaction after all He did let Xbox Flounder for quite a while only releasing a couple exclusives per year for years in a row So I don't think that Phil is going to do anything rash or brash that's really not in his nature but I do sense that maybe there's a little bit of a defensive attitude coming across here because from my perspective at least I believe Microsoft probably thinks that it is hooking people up with game pass it thinks that it's relatively cheap monthly charge in addition to all the deals that we've got on game pass I mean I think I got game pass at one point for like three or four months for like a dollar. I do think that maybe Xbox or Microsoft thinks that it has hooked us up for a very long time and therefore we should be a little more understanding now that the service isn't flowing the way we had anticipated. But that's not the way that consumers work. Consumers feel like they're paying for something and they're not getting value out of it. They're going to get rid of it. Now there is leeway here. I'm as guilty as anybody else. There's been plenty of times where I should have dropped my subscription to Netflix or some streaming service and I just let it ride. So I think there... There's a part of the market that Microsoft has said to itself. Well, you know, some people are going to continue to subscribe even if there isn't a lot of great stuff month over month and maybe and this is just me guessing and maybe Microsoft is starting to see that people are starting to close their subscriptions for Game Pass and it's starting to get a little nervous. Now, the good news is that if Microsoft and Xbox can just hold on for a little while longer and all these games finally start coming probably early next year, It's gonna be golden. It just really needs to get through this rough patch right now. So do I think that his statements coincide with certain things happening? I do. Do I think that his statements will ultimately have a big impact on the future of Xbox? Probably not. Do I think the console wars do anything constructive to help our industry? I do not. Our next question comes from Sifted from AJ the Legend. What's up, AJ? Do you feel confident in the next generation carrying the torch and representing gaming in a fair yet critical mindset, or are we in the days of opinions being based off what benefits the individual? Thanks for all you do." First of all, thank you very much. Second of all, your question is a little confusing. Can this generation carry the torch? Yes, it absolutely can. These consoles are plenty powerful enough. They have plenty of new features and functionality there's maybe a harder sell for people who haven't owned consoles in a while getting people off of the bench to buy a playstation 5 or an xbox series x if maybe their last console was an xbox 360 that might be a little hard because i think a lot of the things that we as hardcore players appreciate in these consoles some people may not even really notice like we talk about things like hot swapping games and you know the ability with these SSDs to suspend a game and then jump between games. Most casual players, that's not a feature that they care about because they typically play either no games at a time or one game at a time. And I don't think we've had any problems convincing the core players because these consoles are selling as fast as they can manufacture them. So I think people like us, yeah, I think they're definitely gonna carry the torch. Do I think it's a little harder with the casual people who buy maybe, I don't know one or two games a year to get them to upgrade from a ps4 pro or an xbox one x yeah Uh, particularly because we haven't really seen these consoles really make use of their power yet as far as 4k games are concerned once playstation and xbox stop kind of developing for this middle ground i think these consoles will have the opportunity to impress the people who are sitting on the bench at this point the people who honestly will carry these consoles into the stratosphere, as far as competing for the best-selling console of all time, kind of where the PlayStation 4 is right now. I do think we're a little bit away from that happening. And to the second part of your question, are opinions now being fomented based upon the impressions of the individual? No, I don't think so. Although I do think that that is more likely to happen now than it ever has been. Because, and I think a big part of that, is just social media. Think back to the playstation 3 and xbox 360 era we had facebook we had myspace and stuff like that but we didn't have things like twitter and tiktok where you could really have someone who might be considered and i hate to say this but who might be considered insignificant having an impact on sort of the opinions of the hive mind that is far more likely now than it used to be so while i don't think that the general overarching opinion is formed by a collection of individuals i do see things kind of heading in that direction our next question comes from sifted from the sandman mr sandman game face has evolved over the years in a positive way i felt there were times when you and matt would talk over each other what changes have you made to get game face to where it is do you discuss possible changes with matt First of all, thank you for the kind words. I really, really appreciate it. Obviously, I've worked really hard on Game Face for a really long time at this point. Um, And so I appreciate the kind words about the show and that you feel it's headed in a positive direction. However, I would say that preparing for episode 300, I had a chance to kind of go back and look at everything that we've done on Game Face. And to me, it's been up and down. (laughs) Like I think there are periods where we peaked. I think there are periods where it went down a little bit, and then we always would rise back up and go down. And honestly, a lot of it just has to do with our location and the money that we have to have a location. So for instance, right now, I'm recording Ask Shane Anything in my living room. And if we had a studio, I'd be recording it at a studio. It would look a lot more professional. It probably would look better. It would probably sound better. But you know, our Patreon is in the toilet right now. And so I don't have the money to afford a studio. So a lot of it, I think, is dependent upon the location because when we have a studio, we can do things more easily, like have guests. Like I can't invite people over to Matt's house to be on the show. I would never ask to even do that because it's his private home. And and while I love all you guys and I generally trust all you guys, I can't have you guys going over to Matt's private residence. I just can't. Another thing we used to do on Game Face is when we would discuss games, we would have live gameplay. We'd actually have the consoles plugged into our TriCaster and we would walk you through like a section of the game while we talked about the game. Going back and looking at old episodes of Game Face, I really like that. I think it's really good. I think it's something that other video casts do not do. So. I do appreciate the kind words and I do agree with you that generally the show has got better. I find it interesting though that you have placed an emphasis on something that I probably wouldn't have placed a lot of emphasis on and that is talking over each other. Um, Honestly, (laughs) I do talk to Matt about changes in the show. Obviously I have to. He's the co-host. He needs to keep abreast of all the changes and the tweaks to the show, what's coming in the show. And, you know, when we go to do an episode, he has a rundown sitting in front of him. So he knows the sequential order of what we're going to do in every episode. But as far as big overarching changes to the show or big changes to the structure of the show or segments to the show, generally, yes, I keep him in in, uh, the loop on that stuff. I don't accept a ton of feedback. A lot of times I make the decisions and then I just kind of tell him about it and keep him abreast of what's going on with the show. Um, So he doesn't have a ton of feedback on what happens on game face in general but as far as talking over each other i think that's really just a change on my part i just let him finish (laughs) Um, i don't think he's changed his stance at all i think what i discovered after doing the show with matt for a long time is that when he has something that he wants to say he's just gonna say it and it doesn't matter as a host whether i try to break in He just ignores me and he just keeps going. And so I've learned over time how to host a show with Matt, which basically is just let him keep talking until he's finished talking. And then I jump in because if I try to jump in to get the segment moving, to change the topic or whatever, he will just keep going. And so I think I've just learned as a host and yes, hosts can get better too. It's my job to improve as a host of the show to make the show better. I think I have just learned having Matt as a co-host for so long that there's just certain proclivities that he has and that I need to work around them as a host to make the show as good as possible. There are sometimes it can be frustrating when I know we're running over time and he'll start telling a story and I can see in my mind that this story is going to last like five or so, five or so minutes in the past. I would just try to cut him off and keep the show moving but sometimes you guys would complain like let Matt talk or whatever um, and so I've just learned over time to just let him finish speaking before I kind of cut him off and move the show forward. But thanks again for all the kind words. All right. Our last question for this episode comes from Sifted from Jay Lynn. When are you going to sell your collection of stuff? Why do you collect stuff in the first place? That is a great question (laughs) and a question that I have really started asking myself a lot recently. Now, you may remember we used to do a show called Sifted HQ, and I would go on Sifted HQ and I would show off a lot of my stuff, a lot of the tchotchkes, and other stuff that I've collected throughout my years um, being in the games industry. But one thing I would say is that since I started Sifted, that stuff has just stopped coming in. One is that the publishers don't really send like these big review kits like they used to. They do for some of the really big games, but we used to get stuff for every game. There would be a t-shirt or some other piece of swag in every box that I received when I was at Game Trailers, for example. That stuff has really kind of stopped flowing in One, because we're smaller and we don't get those fun packages like we used to. But two, just because the publishers don't really send that stuff out anymore. So organically, I have kind of stopped collecting stuff. Now, if you want to talk about, like, my game collection, I've also stopped collecting that stuff as much as I used to. Um, I still don't have to buy a lot of games. I'm very lucky that the publishers still send me most of the code for free for reviews. I still do have to buy some stuff. And when I do, I buy it almost all physical. But... I'm really starting to wonder now if that's, that's smart. Now, you can't really see it, but over my left shoulder here is, like, a bulk of my game collection. The other day, I was looking at it, and I was like, hmm, there's a whole lot of Madden and NCAA football and FIFA and NHL games in there. And all those games are worth, like, 50 cents. They're worth, like, nothing. So, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I should probably just take all those out of my collection and just take them to a local GameStop and get, like, $10 for like 30 games or whatever because all I'm doing right now is just taking up space I'm never gonna play Madden NFL 14 or whatever. It's just not going to happen Um, So I have already started thinking about purging my collection a little bit, but at this point really my collection is kind of frozen Um, I have kept like the really cool swag that I've received throughout the years And that's kind of the stuff that you saw on Sifted HQ and Closet Raiders Um, But otherwise my collections have kind of just been frozen so the next part of your question was, when am I going to sell it? I'm going to sell it when I'm ready to retire. Now there is a little bit of a fear that I die before I retire. Something happened. You never know. Um, as I've learned through the last five years with my dad and my sister, nothing is given like life can be taken at any day. So I hope this is not the case, but my plan is to sell it when I retire and then have a little nest egg uh, to help in my retirement. And obviously the longer I hold this stuff, generally the more valuable it becomes. And as, physical objects, physical games become more and more rare unless people are buying them. I do believe the value of some of this physical stuff is going to go up. So my plan is to wait until I retire and finally sell off a big chunk of my collection. The second part of your question is, why do I collect stuff in the first place? Honestly, almost everything I collect is to make money. <laughs> like like when I would go to Japan and I would buy these obscure Game Boy Advance consoles or whatever, at the pokemon stores i wasn't buying them because i wanted to play them or whatever i already had a gba i already had these games that i've been buying um i bought them because as an investment i figured i'll buy this for 200 dollars today and when i'm ready to retire maybe i'll sell it for five or six hundred and if i do that with enough stuff then i'll have a nice little nest egg from my collection when i'm ready to retire now my fear again is that as i said i die before i retire and my wife is left to sell this stuff and she has no idea how much any of this stuff is worth like she could literally just have a like a garage sale and sell like a $600 GBA for like $2 and that is my fear now I've spoken to her about this and I've said you know if something happens to me reach out to Matt she knows Matt she's known Matt for a long time and I told her I'm like if anything happens do not sell my collection every game that I have that may seem insignificant to you, could be worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I did instruct her that if that ever happens to reach out to Matt and he could probably help her make sure that she doesn't get ripped off when she goes to sell my stuff. But um, why do I collect? It just happened. When I worked in this industry, like I was just constantly being sent games and like I would get a review code for debug, but then they would also send me a retail copy of the game. And they would also send one for the library at wherever I was working. So I would keep the one that they sent to me. I'd take the library copy and put it in the library at game trailers or GameSpot or G four or wherever I worked. I'd make sure that we had that stuff there and then I would bring that copy for me home and it would just sit there in shrink wrap, never open. God hand still in shrink wrap tons of stuff like that games that I forgot I even had honestly because I would just get them and just come home, put them away and forget about it because again, I had like a review copy that I was using to actually play the games so Why did I collect the stuff? It just happened. It's the same deal with, like, my house record collection. Um, Some of those records are worth a lot of money because I started buying house records back in, like, 93. Um, And some of the very first ever house records, those are worth a lot of money, too. And that just happened because I love house music and I was a DJ. It just happened organically. So it was never a goal of mine to collect stuff and then sell it. Although once I realized that it was happening, it did become... An initiative to maximize what I was doing as much as possible and once I realized I started amassing these big collections that's when I got a little more strategic about it And was like you know what this industry this stuff could appreciate in value pretty significantly and I started buying stuff with that in mind <laughs> thanks for watching this episode of ask chain anything as I said if you want to ask questions for the show you need to pledge at $7 a month or more at patreon.com sifted but everyone gets to watch the show itself. Thanks again, we'll see you next time.